Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Today, I want to talk to us about something that I think is so important for us to explore and reflect on in light of the craziness that we have all had going on during the impacts of COVID-19. Starting back in mid-March, hasn't each week almost felt like a year? There were so many rapid changes happening. There was so much information to process. And the uncertainty and the loss of control over outcomes was extremely high. I thought it was really interesting to see what things were first stripped from us. I noticed that our sporting events and our mass gatherings for concerts were the initial things on that chopping block. It was as if God was removing from our society and the world the things that we had come to worship with undue praise. So what next? What's it going to look like for us when we return? Our education system, as well as our models of worship, were all changed within a matter of days. Some of us didn't think it would last that long. Others think it will still last longer. Truth is, no one knows what the future holds regarding this virus and our country's response to it. But for me personally, I sense different things happening within my heart each and every week. Was it that way for you as well? I'd be curious to know. You see, a few of the common themes that the Lord began speaking to me early on that have remained the same throughout this entire period can be overarched with this idea of not just returning back to normal. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just go back to the way things were. And that is why this morning I have titled this message, Going Back to Better Than Normal. Would you join me on that journey of returning to something better than what was before? I'm not interested in returning to the schedule I had before. I'm not interested in in returning to some of the insecurities I had before. I'm not interested in returning to the need to prove my worth and value by what I do or accomplish. I'm not interested in returning to a system that esteems long hours, sacrificing family, and doesn't have healthy boundaries in relationships. I am not interested in going back to the sins and habits and vices that were crutching our society along through what we had become accustomed to, a normal. I don't know about you, but my hopes are that there's something better than that. I hope for you and for me that when we return, our lives will have a new rhythm. I hope that there is sweeter rest both at night, but especially in the Lord at all times of the day. I hope that we see not only transformation occurring within our heart, but also within our habits. So that when we return to a new normal, it isn't short-lived. I hope that we don't lose our need to fully trust the Lord with our future finances, with job security, with our health, and in every area of our life that we thought we had control over. I hope the dross that the stresses of this season have brought to the top can literally be removed because that we have allowed the Lord to finish the work that He started in us during this season. And so I want you to join me as we return to something that is better than normal. Are you with me? You see, Jesus says this in the book of Revelation to the church in Laodicea. He says in Revelation 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Verse 15 says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold 
nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus speaking here. He is writing this letter to the church. John is simply recording it. And he goes on in verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Sounds a lot like our country. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, Jesus says, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Finally, in verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. So allow me to stage just a little bit of context for us so that we can better understand these verses. So as I mentioned, Jesus is speaking to this church. John is simply writing down what he is saying. And Jesus speaks to the church with knowledge that only the faithful and true witness would have. Christ surmises their situation, and the verdict is the exact opposite of the church's own evaluation and expectations of themselves. Their deeds were neither cold nor hot, Jesus says. And it's very unlikely that we could understand this passage in these words to reflect a spiritual nature of those within this church. Jesus is not saying that I wish you were either spiritually cold or spiritually hot. That would have been a foreign concept to the first century Christians. While it is something that we talk about today, it would have been something that they would have never heard of or would have used in their own language. And so the two adjectives in neither hot nor cold should be understand together in their relationship with being lukewarm, to lukewarmness as we see in verse 16, meaning that they were useless to Christ. They had become complacent and self-satisfied and indifferent to real issues of faith in Him and of discipleship. They had lost their way. They lost their purpose. They had lost their value. Here's a little bit of the geographical context that will help you understand why the hot and the cold and the lukewarm were the language that Jesus chose to use. You see, the city of Heropolis was seven miles north of Laodicea, and it had these famous hot springs. And it may be that there were similar springs located south of Laodicea and affected the temperature of the water supply. And so Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth seems to make an allusion to the lukewarm water that they had there in Laodicea. Cold could refer to the useful cool water that was located at, at Colossae, just a few uh, miles, 10 miles to be exact, south. Hot would remind the Laodiceans of the beneficial hot springs to the north in Heropolis. Yet Laodicea, for all its wealth, had this insipid water supply, Ugh. one that induced vomiting. And Christ detests a Laodicean attitude of compromise, one that seeks the easy accommodations and peace at any cost. You see, with such a condition, Jesus has to deal harshly. 
He says to be a Christian means to be useful and to serve our kingdom's purposes. A return to the normal for this church wasn't going back to a good thing. God wanted to take them back to something better than normal. He wanted them to have purpose and be useful in their community, to add value to those around them. They were to make a difference and not in a stale, stagnant kind of way. Are you following me? Reflect with me for just a few minutes on your life before this crisis. If you have reflected, well, then you will already have these thoughts in your mind to just go right back to. But don't beat yourself up, but revisit some of those thoughts that you've already had. Were there areas in your life like mine that God has brought to the surface during this time that if you'll pause and reflect and allow Him to, He's wanting to bring freedom and even transformation to these areas? I can almost guarantee for all of us that we have those areas today. I can almost guarantee that He is wanting to redeem the pressure and the panic and the uncertainty in the places that we have found our value and identity during this season. I don't know if you can relate to this, but the deeper problem in the Laodicean church, it wasn't simply their indifference, but their ignorance of their real condition. I don't want to be blind to what I was before all this crisis. I want the Lord to redeem these moments. And Christ says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Rather, they were rich spiritually, I'm not sure, or in material possessions, it's unsure as well. But what we do know is that they have interpreted their wealth and their riches in a way to approve of their heart condition that wasn't true. And Jesus is shattering these illusions and he calls them to repentance by saying, but do you not realize that you're actually wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked? There's this leadership podcast that I've been listening to recently and one of the sound bites in their intro to the podcast is this quote. If you don't know what you need to work on as a leader, you know who does? Everybody else. And it's so true. This is true for us on a personal level as as well. You see, they wouldn't be called blind spots if, well, we could all see them in ourselves. They are blind spots because we have a weakness and the propensity to not see what needs to be changed within ourselves. And so the pause for my normal routines and the lack of control over my schedule and what I can manufacture to happen next, that's all been stripped away from us during this crisis. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that the Lord is hitting a reset button for so many of us. And so what I am left with, I may have found my identity in my work at one point or in my accomplishments or in my income or in my ability to provide or in my networking and connections, in my social outlets, in the way that I felt popular or wanted or loved. I may have found my value in how much I can juggle or multitask or be efficient, but I have found that my identity And those things has all been stripped away. And now, if I even had good boundaries, those have been removed. And so much of this was stripped away during this season. And God is allowing this to happen because He wants us to find our identity, our value, and our affirmation in nothing else other than Him. He wants you and He wants me to return to Him in honesty and in truth, allowing the things that we have propped ourselves up on to only be rooted and grounded in Him. Verse 18, he says this, Come and buy from me gold refined in the fire. Then you will be rich. 
You see, gold has a source of wealth for this city. And Jesus is saying, come and find in me and from me your real value, your riches and provision. It is refined to prove itself true and value in your life, sustaining you beyond your self-deceiving paradigms. He's saying, come. He's saying to you and to me, come and buy from the white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And in Laodicea, they were known for their sleek black wool. But Christ is calling them to cover themselves with this purity that only Christ can bring to our shame. He knows and yet still welcomes us. He still invites. He is still offering. He is still forgiving. He is still healing. He is still loving. And He asks us to return not to what is familiar, but to return to what we have not always known, but to go against our culture and society and say, God, I want something better. Instead, return to something better than all of that. Return to something better than normal. Come and buy from me, he says, salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Allow the blinders to be removed from your eyes. What you have used in the past, it hasn't worked, Jesus is saying. He's saying the powder that you had purchased, it's useless for the blindness that you're experiencing. They didn't know what they didn't know. And they couldn't see what they were blind to, just like we can't. And Jesus is giving them and us an opportunity to find our worth, our value, our covering, our forgiveness, our wholeness, our ability to see life as it really is in the scope of eternity and through a sovereign God who is in control. He's saying, come and buy from me. You will pay the price during the season to receive from the Lord what He is designed to do in you during this time. Will you pay it? Will you pay the price in removing all the other voices, the social feeds, the news media outlets, the thoughts you had before to hear what Christ is saying now to your heart and to my heart? He is wanting to use this time as a wake-up call. He is wanting everything that can be shaken to be shaken in our lives. In verse 19, Jesus reminds us that this rebuke and this discipline, it comes out of His love. A few weeks ago on Mother's Day, we talked about how the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. And these words here from Jesus are much like the proverb that we read that day, Proverbs 3.12, which says this, Because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father the son He delights in. Solomon explains how wisdom is gained. And discipline is a vital part of that process. We learn that discipline is done out of a place of love, care, and concern. Punishment is quite the opposite, as we mentioned before. Punishment has more to do with behavior modifications for a sense of order and control, while discipline has more to do with the one being disciplined and less to do with the one administering it. Discipline is not reactive, but instead takes the time to use the moment is a means to teach. The root of discipline, as we know, is literally disciple, to teach or to train. And Jesus is saying to us during this season, as well as to the Laodicean church, that I will spit you out. But wait, those whom I love, I will rebuke and discipline. And are you hearing his discipline during this time? So all those who have ears to hear, hear my voice and respond to my call to earnestly repent, Jesus says. The difference between the expelled and the disciplined, it lies in their response. So how will you respond and how will I respond? What will we choose to get out of this crisis 
will be determined on what we put into it. If you want to come out on the other side as a better follower of Christ, as more in love with God, as more dependent upon Him, then you will get that out of this time. But if you, if you want to become a better spouse, a better parent, a better sibling, a better boss, a better employee, just a better person in general, then that will be determined on how you and how I allow the Lord to use this season as the process to transform you. He is the great redeemer. He can make all things new and he is making all things new. But if we want to become bitter, if we want to give into fear or allow our emotions to feed off of uncertainty, then guess what? We will have those sleepless nights. We will forfeit peace and we will wallow in circumstances that we have no control over. And then we will abort the work that God is desiring to do in us during this critical hour. And I'm not saying you have to or will get it all right every minute of every day. But what I am saying is don't give up on what He is desiring to do in both your heart as well as in your habits. What do I mean by that? I've been leaning into this season. And I've been leaning into some of the difficulty that God had called me to even before this season. There were some tough calls I had to make that I had been putting off, but the quarantine became a gift, so to speak. And that when I accepted that, he was still at work. There were some patterns in my life that had become normal that, that I honestly don't want to return back to. It won't be healthy. It won't be beneficial. It won't be God for me to just go back to the way things were in my heart before COVID-19. I've been listening to better podcasts, better teaching, reading better books, hearing from God in His Word, worshiping Him with newfound freedom. And I want to embrace the fullness of the redeeming work that He is wanting to do in my life right now. How about you? Are you with me? Is there any fear in our heart right now? Well, let's give that to Him. That could short-circuit the redeeming work that Christ is wanting to do in our lives right now. What if we rush back to what was? we could end up abandoning the process that he has started. I don't want to just jump back to normal. I don't want to go just back to something that was. I want to go back to something so much better. The better I want to return to, it isn't based on a paycheck or the unemployment numbers or the certainty that I have about my future. The economy could go back to better, but the better I want to go back to is based upon the one who is calling you and is calling me to find our source in him and him alone. I was listening to a message recently by a pastor of a small church in North Carolina. The pastor's name is Stephen, and he has a small church called Elevation. And he was talking about this idea a little bit, and something he said just jumped out to me. He said, and, and this is simply just a paraphrase, that the transformation that God is doing in so many of our hearts right now, and by, by what I'm saying to us, revealing to us, and changing within us, he said it will only be sustained after this season, if we also have some habit transformation. Heart transformation isn't enough, he said, for the sustainability that we want to see beyond this season. We are going to have to make some decisions differently on the other side of this. I'm going to have to make some decisions about my schedule and about how I spend my time and what priorities I have with my family. I'm going to not only need my heart to be changed during this season, but also to make the decision that some of my habits will reflect this same transformation that is happening in my heart. Are you with me? 
So do we not only want to embrace these things in our heart, but we also want them to be reflected in the habits that we allow the Lord to rewrite for us. So be earnest, Jesus says, and repent. In verse 21, he goes on, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus isn't interested in door dashing your life. He isn't interested in ringing the bell to your heart, dropping off the delivery and splitting. He wants to stay a while. He wants to come into your life. He wants to eat and sup and be with you and you with him. He isn't interested in a drop off. He isn't interested in discipleship. He isn't interested in you being a fan. He wants you to be a follower. And when we give him a place to sit on the throne of our hearts as both Savior and Lord, watch what King Jesus will do. King Jesus will give us a seat in those heavenly places with him. That's what he says as he writes to the the church in Laodicea, verse 21. He says, to the one who is victorious, meaning the one who was earnest and repented. He said, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne just as I was victorious. That's my word for the year. And he has sat down with my father on his throne. Our zeal is not only heart transformation, but also habit transformation. True repentance that will take place in his presence. And as we encounter and entertain, not in a negative sense, but we entertain him as our guest of honor, fellowshipping with him, the Mary and the Martha paradigm, having communion with him, hearing his words speak directly to our hearts. Then we begin to see the victories of Christ manifest in our lives. The one who is victorious will spread his victories in our life. Amen. And like Christ, we will be seated as children of God in those heavenly places in our Father's presence. Our kingdom usefulness will be because we are in kingdom royalty. Because He has overcome, we will overcome. We don't have to go back to normal. We can go back to something that is better than normal. We can go back to a better version because Christ is making all things new and He is our great Redeemer. Would you pray with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that you are making us new, that you have saved us, that you are saving us, and that you will ultimately save us and bring us into your kingdom forever. Oh, how I anticipate that glorious day. But until that day, Lord, let us say, let your glory fill this earth, even as it fills the heavens. Let your glory fill our lives, this earthen vessel, as we give you space and permission to work and to move and to have your way. Jesus, right now, would you do it? Would you allow each and every one of us to see this moment in our lives as a moment to lean into and allow you to transform both our hearts as well as our habits. Help us to move forward, not returning to what was, but believing that you're doing a new thing, God. You allow this to occur in our lives and you are able to redeem all things and you work all things out for the good of those who love you. And Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love you, we love you, we love you, Lord. And we thank you so much for your love for us. Amen and amen. Would you stay on and chat with us for a few minutes? We'll also be headed over to Zoom if you want to join us for our face-to-face time as we share and just pray together. 
Uh, you can also find that link to the Zoom in the emails that uh, were previously sent out about today's service or as well in the chat during today's service. So we love you and we look forward to seeing you again in person very, very soon. God bless.